1: Today, on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
2: We have to decide that we're going to line up our lives with Scripture no matter how popular, no matter how common, or no matter how much we agree or disagree with it. That we have to conform our hearts and our lives to the truth of God's word, even when it's uncomfortable. And there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that's uncomfortable. But that's okay. The reason it's uncomfortable is because our flesh wants to do something very different in opposition to God's general moral code. This
1: is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Galatians. Our world has decided that the desires of the human heart and flesh should be the ultimate rule for how to live. Many have completely shut off their God-given conscience and shut out any instruction from Scripture in order to continue in their desires even when it directly contradicts God's design and commands. As Pastor Gary warns in today's message, you will face opposition as soon as you decide to live according to God's law. But your life is meant to honor God and draw the attention of the world to Him. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the Book of Galatians, Chapter 5, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
2: If you've been with us for very long, you know that the major theme of the Book of Galatians is that salvation is is not Jesus plus salvation is Jesus only we are saved by grace through faith it is by grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone you can't improve upon the cross you can't do anything to get God's better good side because of your good efforts or being a good person or you know trying to achieve or strive to please him uh, we cannot improve upon the message of the cross what was done was done on our behalf. That's why Jesus said it is finished. And what we need to do is accept what he did on our behalf by faith. So salvation is by faith. It is a gift that is given to us. We cannot earn it. We do not deserve it. It is a free gift. It is freely given and freely received. As many as received him, to them that that called upon his name, they were saved. As many as believed in him. So this is what salvation is all about. Now, along these lines, as Paul is framing this whole major theme, he basically says this in the closing few chapters. We are free from the legal obligation of the law, but not free from the moral obligation of the law. Now, I put that in quotes. I probably shouldn't have because he didn't specifically say that. I'm paraphrasing the the, the totality of the message here. Because, see, what they were doing was they were adding the law to Jesus, saying, "Well, okay, you we got to believe in Jesus, but then you got to do all these good things, and you got to remember the feasts of the Jewish calendar, and, and you got to remember to eat kosher, and you have to." Uh, remember to be circumcised and do all these legal obligations. And Paul comes along and he says, no, 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 Look, you, you are not saved because you obey the law. You are saved because you believe in what Christ did for you. And so let me break down this phrase so that we understand exactly wh- what I'm talking about. And then, then we'll pray and we'll read here. There's really two phrases within this statement here. The first is we are free from the legal obligation of the law in this sense that The law is not able to save us, and that we are free from the legal obligation because salvation uh, was uh, not achieved through the law. It was never intended to be achieved through the law. That's why at the end of chapter 3 and verse 24, Paul says, so the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. So the law was to expose sinfulness in us. When you put the law up against your life, do you feel a little convicted? Right? Right? When you read what the Bible says about what is right and what is wrong, do you look at that list and say, done a few wrong things in my life, done a few wrong things in the last hour. Amen? Right? On your way to church here. And so when you look at the law, you realize, oh, woe is me. I'm, I'm a pretty desperate sinner. And so th- we are released from the legal obligation of the law in the sense that the law can't save us by just trying to obey it. It was put into effect to lead us to Christ by exposing our sinful hearts so that we would see our need for a savior. And thus, in chapter 5, verse 1, is why Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by yoke of slavery. He's talking about the burden of the law. You're free from the burden of the law in terms of its obligation for salvation. That said, we are not free from the moral obligation of the law. Because even though the law does not help us to become saved only in the sense that it points our need out for a savior, we are still to obey the moral aspect, the moral code of the law. And so thus, he writes in verse 13 of chapter 5, this is about where we left off last week, so if you look at verse 13, he says, but, but you, my brothers, were called to be free, okay, so we're free from the obligation of the law in terms of its power to save us, because it can't, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature, okay? So there's this aspect of freedom that he writes about here in the last chapter and a half, he says, You're free from the legal obligation of the law in terms of salvation, but you are not free in terms of the moral obligation of the law. You still cannot commit adultery. You still cannot covet. You still cannot steal. You still cannot murder somebody. You know, the moral aspect of the law is still intact. It's just that those things, by obeying those things, don't get us to heaven. It's only Christ who gets us to heaven. But he says, don't use your freedom to indulge a in sinful nature here. So he's going to start to talk about Christian freedom in terms of what is the right responsibility that each of us still has to the moral code of God. Write this down for you note takers. With liberty comes responsibility. With liberty comes responsibility. This now is really where Paul is going to go here in the last chapter and a half of the book of galatians because he says here in verse 13 you my brothers were called to be free this is verse chapter 5 but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature some of your translations might say the flesh okay now there is still a fleshly nature to all of us even after you become a christian when you receive christ as your savior your spirit is regenerated but your flesh is not Your flesh being the basic instinctive things of your nature. And so NIV refers to it as sinful nature. King James, New King James refers to it as flesh. It is is those appetites, not all of which are wrong, but but a lot of those appetites of our sinful fleshly nature that are in conflict with the spirit of God that has regenerated us, has redeemed us. So now he's going to describe here this ongoing conflict in the life of every believer. Now, before you become a Christian, it's not a conflict, is it? Before you become a Christian, you just do whatever you jolly well want to do according to your sinful nature, however you desire to please your own flesh. Okay? It's when you become a Christian that this battle becomes real. Because as a Christian now, you have the Spirit of God within you who desires one thing in your life, and you have your flesh, your basic carnal instinctive nature, that desires a whole list of things that are often in conflict with the spirit of God. And so he's going to talk about this here. Do not use your freedom. Okay, you're free from the legal obligation of the law. Okay, the law won't save you. It's not Jesus plus. It's Jesus only. Okay, so you're free. But don't use this freedom now to think you can do whatever you want. I'm on my way to heaven, and so I'm free in Christ. To do whatever. You're not free to do whatever you want. And he says, be very careful not to indulge a in sinful nature. He says, rather serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. He says there, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Now, the insight into what he's saying here means that the churches of Galatia must have had some infighting. That they must have been biting and devouring it. You know, not literally biting each other, but you know how you, your words can be biting and you can be condescending, you can be critical, you can be complaining, you can, you can be divisive. And so he, this must be going on in the churches here because he says, Look, this is part of the sinful nature, what you people are doing. You're biting and devouring each other, you're going to destroy each other. That's sinful stuff, that's flesh. Stop doing those things or you're going to end up being destroyed by each other. And so in verse 16, he says, So I say, live. By the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Okay, so now he's framing the conflict here spirit sinful nature or spirit and flesh. He says for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. He says they are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want circle the word conflict in your Bibles there. It is a Greek word, antikamei, and it means it's a military term that means in opposition or entrenched against. This it's a military term here that describes the battle within each of us. There is a real battle within each of us, and your flesh and your spirit both want to dominate, and you are going to have to decide Which aspect of your life will be dominant? Will it be your flesh or will it be your spirit? Now, thankfully, it's not just solely dependent on the exercise of your will, though you will have to engage your will. You will have to decide, I want the spirit to rule, not my flesh. But thankfully, he's going to say here, we've got some help. We've got some major help. He says here, That they are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you, you are not under law. In other words, the antidote to this battle is not the law, but it is the spirit. But there's this conflict here. And he's going to go on to describe He's going to make a list here, actually, of 15 things. It depends whatever translation you're reading from. It might be 15 or might be 17 things. King James uh, uses some liberty with some of the language. But NIV is going to list 15 acts, what he calls acts of the sinful nature, or acts of the flesh. And so here's the list. Look Look at it with me. Here's verse 19. He says, The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Okay, 15 things, and then he says, and the like. You know why he says that, right? Because you're liable, I'm liable to look at this list and, oh, I don't see the one. Oh, I guess it's okay to smoke pot, I don't, I don't see smoking pot on the list. You know, so by the way, we're we're gonna actually see smoking pot is in the list. I'm gonna show you, but don't don't tune out because it's actually in the list here. But you know what we're able to do? We're able to look at what our list is and we're comparing it to this. As we go, I guess I'm good to go. You're not good to go because that's why he says and the like. All right, and you know what it is about you that is not good to go. Okay, so don't play games. Don't you know what depends? What is is? Don't do that game. All right, (laughs) don't do that game. All right, if you didn't grow up in the 90s, you have no idea what I just did. <laughs> I did not have. Anyway, let's not go down that path. Hey, it's the first one on the list anyway, but uh... but, but here we go. D- let's take a look at, at this list, and, and we're going to back up here and take a look one by one. I'm not going to spend too much time on everyone, but it's worth pausing and at least looking at what this says here. Now, first thing on the list, he's actually going to begin with three sins. That are sexual in nature. If you have a King James or New King James Bible, it starts out by saying adultery and fornication, where the NIV and uh, the uh, ESV is just uses the word sexual immorality because it is one word in the Greek. It is pornēia. It's where we get our English word pornography, and it is actually a broad term that covers all forms of sexual sin. And any sexual expression outside of the bounds of marriage between one man and one woman is sexual sin. That's a strong statement, but it's a true statement. Any sexual expression outside of the bounds of marriage between one man and one woman is sexual sin. So King James can delineate adultery and fornication. Adultery obviously being sexual relations between people who at least one is married. Fornication is the other word that King James then adds after adultery, which is sex before marriage. And look, I, and I know as we go through this list, you're going to realize with me that these very things that I'm describing are now glamorized by Hollywood. You can't hardly watch a TV show or a movie today where adultery or fornication is not being portrayed as the norm. It might be common, but it's not right. Okay. And it depends in in making that statement. You know, I know for some of you, that's like, well, you know, who gives you the right to say what's right or it's not me. Look, it just depends. What is your worldview and what is the lens through which you determine what is right and what is wrong? Now, for me, I settled it a long time ago that the Bible is that lens through which I view everything in my world. And so when God says certain things are right, then that's the lens that I look through, and I see that that's right. And when God says certain things are wrong, that's the lens I look, look through, and those things are wrong. And those things will always be wrong. I don't care what the culture says. Okay? Those things will always be wrong. Truth is truth, and truth is sometimes offensive. But truth doesn't change if it's really true, okay? You know, if you walked into math class one day and they said, hey, two plus three is now four, You're like, like, who changed that? I thought two plus two was four. Well, no, 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 today we're going to say two plus three is four. And then if you get enough people to just agree that two plus three is four, all of a sudden now it's right. That doesn't make it right. It's fundamentally wrong. And so I know for some of you this is a hard pill to swallow because you're thinking this is antiquated stuff. And I can tell you honestly as a pastor, and every pastor on our staff can tell you, that we've counseled couples in premarital counseling before they get married. And one of the questions we'll ask is, are you sleeping together? Because if you're sleeping together and you want us as pastors to do your wedding... We as pastors want God's blessings to be upon your marriage. Or else you could just go to the justice of the peace and get it done. So if you want a pastor to perform your wedding, you're going to have to understand how God orchestrates and orders things to be done because it's for your best. So if you're sleeping with him or sleeping with her, you need to stop doing that. Are you willing to stop doing that? And we'll have couples, some, who will say no. And some who will say yes. And to those who say yes, we continue on with the premarital. And to those who say no... I'm like, well, then you might as well go get married by Justice of Peace, because you don't need us. If you want to do it your way instead of God's way, why do you need a pastor to do it? You know. So look, we have to decide that we're going to line up our lives with Scripture, no matter how popular, no matter how common, or no matter how much we agree or disagree with it. That we have to conform our hearts and our lives to the truth of God's Word, even when it's uncomfortable. And there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that's uncomfortable. But that's okay. The reason it's uncomfortable is because our flesh wants to do something very different in opposition to God's general moral code. We just do. We're just sinful at heart. And we want to do things our way. And God comes along and says, well, here's my way. And now we have a decision at that point. Well, I don't want to do it God's way or I do. I'm either going to conform or I'm going to rebel. That becomes a personal decision. I can tell you this. The Bible says the way the transgressor is hard. If you decide you don't want to do it God's way, you are inviting hardship into your life. I'm just being flat up straight with you. You are inviting hardship into your life when you deliberately violate God's best. So, you know, even back to the illustration of what we tell premarital couples in premarital counseling, we're not trying to be a killjoy. We're trying to do everything we possibly can to bring you to the most optimal place of God's best for your life and and so then You know, it becomes a decision at that point, and and some people, honestly, out of ignorance, they're like, "Well, I I didn't know we shouldn't be doing this. I I didn't know we shouldn't be living together. I didn't know." And you know, those those are the best because I I I love the I love the ones. Oh, I didn't know, and then and then they're like, "Okay, we want to make." You know, the ones who are the worst, like, "Yeah, I know, I don't care." Okay, get out of our office. You know, I mean, it's just that kind of a. It's just like, well, if you know and you don't care, then you don't need us. But anyway, so so Paul makes this list here, and some some of these things on the list a little hard to swallow. But you and I have to examine our lives in view of Scripture, and then we have to decide, "Do do I want God's best, or do I want to live my life my way? Good luck if you want to live it your way. Good luck. God says, acts of the sinful nature, sexual immorality. So again, pornea, it's a broad term, all kinds of sexual expression outside of the bounds of marriage between one man and one woman. So that covers everything, whether it's adultery or fornication. And then he says impurity, adds impurity to the list. Then he says debauchery. Debauchery in the ESV said sensuality. It is open, shameless sexual sin. That's what, that's what debauchery is. Open, sh- shameless sexual sin. We're kind of living in that age right now. We're just open and shameless. It's a very confusing time in our world. People's sexual identity is becoming a very confusing thing because our culture is, is not helping to steer people in the right direction of truth. So the culture begins to think that the best thing is just for you to do whatever comes natural to you. And we're doing a horrible disservice to people, okay? But to say, you know what? A particular lifestyle is not right, then you get labeled a hater. It's actually one of the most loving things to say when you're speaking the truth in love, because again, you want God's best for someone. But along the lines of those things that are sinful sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, open, shameless sexual sin, idolatry is the next thing on the list, and witchcraft. Now, the ESV says sorcery. Here, here's where you can write in the margin, smoking pot, right here. You say, Where do you see that? The Greek word for witchcraft or sorcery is pharmakia. And pharmakia is where we get our English word pharmacy. And the reason why pharmacia is used in the Bible, where it's often translated witchcraft or sorcery, is because, did you know that they would use illicit drugs, particularly hallucinogens, to invoke demonic spirits in witchcraft? And so that is connected to demonic, satanic things. So any kinds of illegal drugs, particularly mind-altering hallucinogenics, I can tell you open yourself, expose you to demonic things. Because it's, it's a gateway that sometimes the enemy will use then to bring greater demonic influence around your life. So it's, it's listed here. pharmacia, witchcraft, uh, pharmacy, Ill, illegal drugs. The next thing on the list is hatred. Some of these obviously are self-explanatory. What more do I need to say about Hatred. Discord. The SV uses the word strife. So it's you know when when it's, it's that it's that unrest between you know people when you sow seeds of discord. It's it's a terrible thing. Jealousy, next on the list. Fits of rage. Okay, not all anger is sin. Uh, if if someone were to break into your house and hurt one of your family members and you're not angry, there's something wrong with you. Okay, not all anger is sin. But this is in the context of fits of rage. It's talking about rage, uncontrollable anger. Next on the list is selfish ambition. ESV uses the word rivalries. Dissensions. Again, this has to do with internal strife and and disagreements. between. There's nothing wrong with disagreeing with people. We disagree all the time between people. But it's when you are in such a... uh, In fact, King James uses the word sedition instead of dissension. It's this undermining. That's different from disagreeing. It's undermining, it's dissension, it's sedition. uh, For which, by the way, in the United States is still punishable by death. Sedition against the U.S. government is still punishable by death. So there's there's a strong warning against this kind of thing, this undermining, this sedition. Factions is the next thing on the list. ESV uses the word divisions. King James, New King James uses the word heresies. In other words, some of the greatest factions or divisions come as a result of heresy related to biblical truth. Next on the list is envy. Envy is not just wanting what someone else has. Envy, because that's that's jealousy. Envy, which is also on the list, but envy is despising the fact that they have it.
1: We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection and that we were able to dig into the book of Galatians together. Did you know that you can download our mobile app and take Cornerstone Connection with you anywhere you take your phone? That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies, and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd love to meet you in person at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia, too. Stop in for a service this Sunday at 8.30, 10, or 11.45 a.m., or join us for our Bible study and fellowship on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Pastor Gary would love to shake your hand and answer any questions you may have about the study, about Cornerstone Chapel, or about how you can have a relationship with God. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can listen to additional teachings from this study or read accompanying resources on our site as well. Just look under the Teachings tab. That's all we have time for today, but join us next time to continue studying Galatians right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul
2: That you've got no place to go But still you know you're not alone